Good morning and happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. Uh, I am a product of a very good mother, one full of lots of love, grace, and lots and lots and lots of patience. And uh, um, if you knew me during those times that she had to extend all that patience, you would know that uh, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. If uh, for you mothers that have uh, a son or, or even a daughter that has twisted off, kind of gone crazy and is not following the Lord at all, I'm telling you right now because I'm standing here, there is hope. And uh, if you are one of those children, and the only reason that you're here in church today is because your mama wanted you here for Mother's Day, uh, if she is a praying mother, um, your days are numbered. Hopefully your minutes are numbered and you'll leave here different than you were when you came in. Uh, you might as well give up now because if your mama's on her knees, you don't have a chance. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians. If you looked at the bulletin and saw that we were in 1 Corinthians 5.17, you probably had a difficult time finding it because it's not in there. We're actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the title, it were actually, this is part four of the series that uh, we've been in on uh, the truth of it all. As we continue to look at different verses taken from a scripture reading that was done on Easter Sunday, uh, the one we're going to be looking at today is taken from 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I'm sure that many of you know this verse by heart, can probably recite it without even looking at it. And it's, it is one of the more popular text in the Bible, and it's one of those truths that I talked about last week that will absolutely change your life if you believe it. And again, not that you just agree that it's a true statement, but that you believe it deep down to where it affects the way that you live. <clears throat> so let's stand together as we look at 2 Corinthians five seventeen. It's a short verse, yet very powerful. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let's pray. Lord, this is good news that you have for us this morning. Lord, I believe that you have something to say to us today, God. And so, Lord, if you have something to say, it's imperative that we listen to it. That we pay attention. So, Lord, I pray that your people would be attentive to your word this morning, God, that you would eliminate any distractions or anything that would hinder us from receiving what you have for us today. Lord, let your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Got an amen from a little one down here. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to show you. Uh, some pictures of different products that claim to do a whole lot for just a little bit. And if you've ever been up late at night watching TV, I'm sure you've probably seen the infomercials for some of these products. The first one, put that one on, that's the Rhythm Rocker. The Rhythm Rocker claims to give you a full and total body workout, all while learning the latest dance moves while you're sitting down the whole time. 
And then the next one is the ab rocker. Some of you may even have the ab rocker in your home. It claims for just 30 minutes a day, a couple times a week, you can have a body that looks like it has been chiseled from marble. And then here's one of my favorites, the shake weight. I swear the shake weight had to have started off as a joke and somehow accidentally turned into this great product because it claims that in just six minutes a day, all you have to do is hold on to this thing while it shakes in your hands and you're going to look like that. You're going to have arms and muscles, a chest like that. And then finally, the flex belt, and this one takes the cake. All you got to do is put on the flex belt and let it do the work for you. You just sit around the house, watch TV, and eat potato chips while the flex belt sends these electronic pulses to make your abs contract where after a while you're going to have abs that look like that. Exactly. And in every one of these ads, the people demonstrating these products have these chiseled, steroid-ridden bodies that they want you to think they got by using these products and nothing else. But at the bottom of the screen in every one of those ads are these little bitty words that say, results not typical. Well, duh. Only a fool would think that those bodies got like that just by using these gadgets. I mean, it takes a lot of work and maybe some chemicals to use bodies, to get bodies like that. But the thing is, our culture absolutely loves the idea of transformation. We want to be transformed, but we want it to be quick and we want it to be painless. We don't want to pay any price for it. And so we'll say, give me the pill. Give me the... 10 minutes a day on the flex belt. And marketers have dug their hooks in on this because it absolutely works. People are believing the lie because they want it so bad to be true. The lie that I can look like that in just 10 minutes and still eat cake. I'll take two of them. Is there anything more ridiculous? I'm sure we'll come up with something. But you know, God is all about transformation. But the thing about Christian transformation is that there is no small print at the bottom. There is no promise that it is going to be quick. And there definitely is no promise that it is going to be painless. And there are really two types of transformation that God works through the Holy Spirit. There is the immediate and permanent transformation that takes place the moment of salvation And then there is the slower, ongoing transformation that happens throughout our life here on earth. Both of them are represented here in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we're going to break this verse down into the four phrases that make it up. And the first phrase is, if anyone is in Christ. Now the last two words of that phrase are two words that you will find throughout the whole New Testament, and they seem to be Paul's two favorite words to use because he talks about it so much, and it's no wonder because they have profound meaning in Christ. What does it mean exactly to be in Christ? Well, there are really four things going on in these two little words 
And these are in the notes in your bulletin if you're following along there. For one, it means that you belong to Christ. When Jesus saved me, the Bible says I was bought with a price. You were bought with a price. I am not my own. You are not your own. You were bought. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus. He bought you. He made you his own. You are his possession. You belong to him. The second thing going on is that now that you belong to Jesus, you inhabit the sphere of power of Christ. How you live is now formed and shaped by the power of Jesus inside of you. Paul would say it this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In Romans 8.11, which we're going to look at in a couple of weeks, it says that the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. And that right there is a great example of one of those truths that if we really and truly believe that, and not just agreed with the fact that it's a true statement, but really believed it deep down, I believe the way that we lived would look a little bit different in the way that it does now. And let me make this clear again, just for those that still have a hard time believing this for yourself. You have just as much of that power and just as much of that spirit in you as I have it in me. And I have just as much of that power and just of that spirit in me as you have in you. It's not a matter of how much you have. It's a matter of what you're doing with it. We all get the same measure in Jesus. And then thirdly, to be in Christ means that you have the attributes of Christ. 1 John 4, 17 has got to be one of the most, are you kidding me, verses in the Bible. I quote it often and it simply says, as he is, so also are we in this world. That blows my mind. As Jesus is right now so also are we in this world. Well, what is he? Well, we could spend all day talking about what Jesus is, but just, just a little bit. He is righteous. He is powerful. He is madly loved by the Father. As he is, so also are you in this world. His attributes were given to you as a free gift the moment you put your trust in him for salvation. He got your sin, your shame, your failures, your shortcomings, your inadequacies. And in exchange, he gave you everything good in him. Yes. And then lastly, to be in Christ means that you are part of his body, namely the global family of faith. And this is a part of it that gets our eyes off of us and gets us outside of ourselves I've taught before how in our Western culture, we put way too much emphasis on the individual aspect of salvation and not near enough on the corporate aspect of it. It is vital that we grasp the fact that what God has done in in saving us, in saving you, is not primarily just about you and him. 
I mean, it doesn't take long to read the scriptures and see that the greater emphasis is actually more, having more to do with him and us corporately. He made you a part of something much bigger than yourself, which means that you need other believers in your life. And it also means that we need you just as much. And so when the Bible talks about in Christ, it is always speaking to these four things. Although depending what the context is that it is written in, it will lean it towards one in particular. Now the second phrase in the verse, he says that if we are in Christ, then we are new creatures. Some texts say new creations, which is actually a more accurate translation. And again, because we are such an individualistic culture, we tend to read Scripture, read any Bible verse through that individualistic lens. And so when we read, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, we're going to read that as individualized, right? Of course, that's what we have historically done with this verse. I am a new creation. And although that is right, that is not at all what Paul is saying here. That is not the point of emphasis that he is making in this verse. Yes, you are a new creation. You are a new creature, but it is so much more than that. I mean, look at the context of verse 17. Let's look at the verses immediately around it. In verse 16, Paul uses the word we three times. And in verse 18, he uses the word us twice. And in verse 19, he's talking about how God has reconciled the whole world. The context of 2 Corinthians 5.17 has absolutely nothing to do with individualism at all. It's all about what God is doing corporately and globally, universally. Paul never uses the word creation as a noun in relation to individuals, but always uses the idea of new creation in a cosmic kind of way, talking about what God is in the process of doing right now. You won't grasp the weight and the meaning of verse 17 if you only view it from this individualistic perspective and how this verse only applies to me to say that second corinthians five seventeen is only talking about me is to completely take it out of context what paul is saying here is that if anyone is in christ he is now a part of what god is doing in making all things new now what do i mean by that well, you see, when Jesus stepped out of the grave, that first step he took out of that tomb marked the very beginning of God's work of recreating, reforming, redeeming, and resetting all of creation back to its original glory before sin fractured it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is saying that you and I have been included in that process. Now, how much bigger and better than it is that than just mere individual transformation? To hear that God specifically chose you to be a part of his global plan of righting everything that went wrong sounds so much better than just stop looking at porn and getting drunk. 
when we take this verse and whittle it down to some individual component, we rob it of the glory and the expanse of what is actually going on here and what God has made you and I a part of. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul is trying to get your eyes off of you, not on you. And so in this context, the next thing in your notes there, the phrase, he is a new creation, would mean being included in God's work of restoring creation. I realize that that is what God has done and is doing with you should change your whole perspective of life and living. What that means is that you now have an incredible purpose in this world. The God of the universe has chosen you and rescued you and made you an agent of change and restoration. He has delegated his power and his authority to you so that you can now display how this new order, how his kingdom works, how it is in operation right now and for you to play a crucial role in making all things new. It is so sad to me that so many Christians have this idea that Christianity means nothing more than just trying as best you can to be a better person. Try as best you can to just stop sinning and do good more often. (laughs) Listen, folks, if that's all Christianity is, then we might as well just buy a bunch of self-help books and I'll preach from those. I'll just give a bunch of motivational speeches and suggest ways that you can have your best life now. I mean, it turns my stomach to even suggest that because I know that being a Christian is about so much more. So much more. It's about a purpose and a plan much bigger than us that by God's grace He has made us part of. The individual take, the change that takes place in us is just a result of the fact that we have been included in his working of making all things new again. Remember, the Bible is one big story, and the story is of God's plan for the redemption of creation through his son, Jesus In the beginning, God created everything. And what did he do? He called it good. It was good. It could not have been improved on. It was perfect. But then sin entered and absolutely affected and fractured everything that God had made good. And then from the third chapter of Genesis on, the rest of the Old Testament, the story is about man's attempt to fix what was broken and their constant failures at doing so. But the whole time during that, God is patient, and he's given us hints, and he's foreshadowing and forecasting, and then coming right out and telling through the prophets what he is going to do to finally fix the problem. And then the climax of the story happens in Jesus. He came and fulfilled everything that the Old Testament was looking forward to and pointing to. He fixed what sin broke through his death and resurrection. And then from then on, the rest of the New Testament, the story is about how everything has changed 
Now that the climax has happened, now that the problem has been fixed, here's how it affects the rest of the story. And then the end of the story is about how Jesus will return to consummate and bring to completion the work that began with the resurrection, the work of restoring creation back to its original glory. I'm telling you, understanding this will give you a whole new perspective and attitude, especially about the events that go on in the world around us. You know, many people believe that the world is just getting worse and worse and will continue to get worse to the point where it's just all going to end in this big, fiery blaze of glory, that the world is just going to evaporate, just be Boom, explode. God's going to end it all, but we're going to be raptured up before it happens. The earth will be gone, but we'll be in heaven. The truth is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ began God's work of restoration rather than destruction. We read in Revelation how John saw the new Jerusalem coming down. It was the new being imposed on the old. In one of the prophecies, God says, I will go to them and I will be with them. But if all you did was look at things in the natural on on the news and in newspapers and how bad things are getting all over the place, it would be very hard to, to believe that God was restoring anything. It appears to be getting worse, not better, and I would agree with you. And so how do you square this theology with the reality of what's going on in the world right now? God in the process of restoration, and yet everything around us is just getting worse and worse. Those two things seem to be in direct opposition with each other. How do we make sense of it? Well, we make sense of it the way we make sense of everything else. We filter it through the lens of the gospel. All you have to do is look to the cross. Would you not say that while Jesus was on the cross, God was in the process of doing something absolutely spectacular? Of course he was. Something beautiful and glorious was taking place at that moment. He was wiping your debt clean. He was making a way for man to be made right with God once again. He was restoring what was lost in the garden. He was fixing what had been broken. But yet in the natural, all you see is pain and suffering and shame and agony and death. I'm sure the disciples would be looking at the crucifixion of Jesus and thinking for them things are definitely getting worse, not better. Little did they know how much better things were actually getting at that moment. And they would soon come to finally realize themselves. There's one scene in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, that is my favorite scene in the whole thing. And when I first saw the movie... Man, when, when this scene came up, I just, it just I fell apart. And I was a little surprised that they included this in there because it is such a profound statement of what the death and resurrection of Jesus really means. Now, I won't say any more about it. I'll just let you watch it for yourself.
don't know if you could see the words on there, but if you've seen the movie, you know what he says. He just grabs her by the face and says, See, mother, look, mother, I make all things new. I make all things new. His death put an end to sin's power of death and destruction. His resurrection ushered in a new order whereby God is now in the process of restoring all things to himself and making them new. And if you are in Christ, you are included in that. You are a part of this new creation and the old has passed away. That's the next phrase in the text. Some versions read, is or are passing away and both of them are right. If you got saved when you were a kid and have followed the Lord your whole life, I love your testimony. I hope and pray that that's the testimony my kids have. I don't want them to have my testimony. I want my kids to be able to say when they're my age, I knew the Lord from an early age and I never strayed from following him. To say I was never seduced by the ways of the world because I was so in love with Jesus. Man, I would love for that to be their story. But certainly not my story. But if you have always followed the Lord your whole life, you may not be able to relate to this part of the text the way someone would who was saved much later in life. Because you see, when you become a Christian, all of a sudden you start loving things that you didn't love before you were a Christian. God begins tuning your heart to his. and results in you beginning to love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. There were things that before you had absolutely no problem with at all, and now all of a sudden you got a problem with them. This is the old passing away. We get new lenses through which we can now see life. Our values change. Our desires shift. We call this idea regeneration. It's what the Bible calls turning a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Now, I'll be honest with you. I mean, for some, that is a much harder reset than it is for others. For some, there have been changes that have come sudden and drastic. I've heard testimonies of alcoholics who say at the moment of salvation, they never had the desire for another drop of alcohol again. And drug addicts saying the moment they get put their faith in Jesus, they were set free from their addiction, never even have to go through withdrawals. But for others, probably most of us, I would say, that change doesn't come so suddenly. It's a slower process, but whether your change was sudden or slower, all of us have to get used to these new lenses that God has given us now. That's why the word here isn't just past tense, but it's present tense as well. There are things about us that have passed away. They are gone, but there are more things that are passing away. That means that these things, those desires that I had before, they may still be there, but they're no longer center stage. They're on their way off the stage. They no longer primarily direct my affections and actions. Those things are gasping for air because they are being choked out more and more by the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. This is the old passing away. 
And in this corporate global context, the old passed away and is passing away, and he is restoring all things new again. In the natural, it may not look that way, but he is, and he wants you to be a part of it, to join the Father in the family business. You know, I believe that the way things seem to be getting worse in our world is probably proof or a good indicator that God is up to something glorious. It's a direct result of that fact because as he imposes this new order onto the old more and more, that resistance to it is going to be stronger and stronger. And so the worse things get, as his people, we can look at it and go, it just means things are moving closer to him bringing it all to completion. I've got nothing to fear. Because what I'm seeing out there in the bad is just the coming against what God is doing right now. What I'm a part of. So there's nothing for me to fear. And then the last phrase, new things have come. And to me, this is the best part of the whole verse. It would be one thing if God just removed the old. And if that was the case, then he would have had done enough for us to praise him forever. But he does so much more. Not only is the old gone and continuing to exit the stage, but entirely new things have come. It's like this. Let's say that I have a refrigerator in my house that has gone out. All the food spoiled. And somehow, maybe I'm an old man now, and my new knees have long worn out, and my kids are nowhere around, but somehow I'm completely incapable of getting this thing out of my house. I just can't do it. I'm helpless. And so for years, I have to live with this huge rotting appliance that is not only taking up space that I could be using, but it's stinking up the whole house, and it's attracting bugs. And it even affects what I can eat now because I can't keep anything perishable. I can only eat something if it's in a box or if it's canned. It has completely affected my entire home life. But then a neighbor comes over to check on me and he finds out about this. And so out of his kindness and his grace, he takes this thing out of my home. Finally. I no longer have to live with it anymore. The smell is gone. The bugs are gone. Praise God. I am so thankful to my neighbor. But what if he not only removed the old one, but he brought a brand new one over to take its place? And it's not just a new version of the old. The old was just a basic fridge, nothing more. But this thing is a sub-zero side-by-side. Freezer-fridge combo with ice maker, water dispenser, the whole works. You see, it's one thing to have the bad removed. That's good news. But it's a whole other ball game when you've got something new and better to take its place. That's what God has done. The good news of the gospel is not just that you are saved from something, it's that we are saved to something. You're not just saved from something bad, you are saved to something much better. Not only has the old passed away, but something altogether new has come. You're not just forgiven of your sins, you are made righteous. You're not 
uh, just no longer separated from God. It's that you are made a favored son and daughter, an heir of the Father. It's not that your dead spirit was removed. It's that you are now filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ himself. It's not just that your old desires are gone. It's that entirely new ones are now taking their place. New things have come and they affect everything. This new order that God has brought us into, it affects our relationship with others. It affects our marriages, our home life. It affects the way that we work in our jobs from now on. And the way that we talk, it affects everything. Folks, this new order was launched in the resurrection of Jesus. And you and I have been saved to it. We have been given the power to bless everything that we touch. And to bring everything within our sphere of influence into alignment with God's new order of making all things new. My prayer is that we as a church would keep that central in everything that we do. And realize this thing that God has saved us to is so much bigger than just us. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for your word that just never gets old, never goes stale, Lord, that there are always new things to discover. Lord, just when we think that we have quoted a verse as many times as we possibly can and we know everything about it as we do, Lord, we, you lead us into something else and we just stand in awe and amazed at who you are and what you have done. God, I pray for those in here today who have just, God, thought so small of salvation that it was just about trying not to do bad and trying to do good. Lord, would you open their eyes to see that you have brought them into something so much better, something so much more glorious. God, I pray for those in here today that are still hanging on to the old. They're still trying to live life their way rather than yours. God, it's just because they have bought into the lie that their way is better than yours. But Lord, there is nothing further from the truth. And I pray by your grace and mercy that your Holy Spirit would come and just draw them out of their sin and into the light of your grace and mercy. Lord, would you transfer somebody today from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved son. And may we be a people, Lord, that bless everything that we touch, that brings everything within our influence into alignment with what you are doing, with this new order. That the world out there, God, they may come against it, but they will see and they will know that you are real and that you are alive, that you are powerful. So, Lord, use us in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.